have y'all this morning. Jenny and I hosted uh, uh, a young couple. Uh, they're not married. Uh, I guess you'd call them. They're kind of a thing in our home Friday, and uh, we had brunch together and ate breakfast together, and then I did the I did the uh, gospel presentation with them. It was an absolutely joyful time. Uh, the young guy is 23 years old. He took notes the whole time. He said when we got through, and I was just thinking about when men get together, he said, we need to do this more often. And so we, we need to do things of God more often. Men need to get together more often. We need to present the gospel more often. We need to study with people more often. So I am so glad that you're here uh, this morning on this cold morning. We're in our sixth lesson from... The Grace Broadcaster, number 170, The Godly Home. Uh, this comes from Chapel Library, and uh, you guys are familiar with Chapel Library. And if you're not familiar with Chapel Library, you need to become very familiar with them because it is their business to uh, find all the old stuff and the old guys that they can find and reproduce it and send it throughout the world free. At no charge. These guys are doing a great ministry. So the godly home that we're looking at, uh, the author of the uh, of the different lessons, A.W. Pink, uh, he, he left this world in 1952. Then uh, Richard Steele, The Duties of Husband and Wives, he uh, lived from 1629 to 1692. And then John Bunyan, who lived from 1628 to 1688, and then Charles Spurgeon, who passed from this world in 1892, and Edward Hooker, who left here in 1875. So that's their business. And uh, you guys, uh, we're, on, we're on pages 17 through 20 uh, this week, and uh, you have your notes that uh, uh, we'll be referring to. So does anybody have a question about the studies that we've had in the past from the godly home? Anyone have a testimony? I don't know how many of these we have out, but every time I go into a home, it uh, doesn't matter if it's our people or not. Uh, matter of fact, the young guy we studied with, he took three of these with him to give to his coaching buddies uh, to have. Uh, we, we are on to something. We're on to something in teaching about the godly home and in particular teaching men how to be godly men. So... You got your notes there in front of you. You won't have to look any scripture up. Everybody got a copy of the notes? Anybody? So we're in the, the third uh, chapter. Uh, the first chapter in the book is family worship. And, you know, we, we, we put an emphasis on that. So what would family worship be? What, what would be included in family worship? Three things. Scripture, singing, and prayer. Yeah. Sip, scripture. Uh, singing and praying. It's, it's pretty simple. And and so uh, every family will have to do what, Lewis? They'll have to figure out what? How it works for you. How, what, how it works for you. If it works for Lewis, it may not work for Blake. If it works for Blake, it may not work uh, for, for Martin. Okay? You kind of got to figure it out on your own. Okay? Uh, and then the second lesson is duties of husband and wives. And then the next lesson is family duty. They cover basically the same thing. 
And then the, the fourth uh, one is the blood of sprinkling and the children. And that's basically the Passover and Charles Spurgeon teaching on the Passover. So why would we have that in the godly home? Because it, those are important things that you need to know that you need to teach your children. There's things to be taught. And then the last one is children to be educated for Christ. So, uh, and I didn't get to spend any time looking at it, but my wife was telling me this morning about an article of uh, a guy that has his Ph.D. from Cambridge, okay? He went to foster care when he was three years old. And he said, I'll just tell you, uh, now, this is a guy that has his undergraduate from Yale. He has his Ph.D. from Cambridge. Here's what he said. He said, the, the government foster care system is, is, is bad. It's, it's failing, okay? And he said after, after getting his education, his undergraduate and his doctorate, he said this. He said, more important than me getting my undergraduate and my doctorate, more important to me would have been to have a mama and daddy that raised me to know the Lord. So what's he saying? You cannot replace what mama and daddy are to do and do in the home. He said, I would, I, would, I, would, I would trade everything I have to have had a mama and daddy to raise me in the home. It's a big deal. And I'll tell you, that's, that's one reason that America is in a tailspin is Mamas and daddies aren't together, and they're not raising their kids to know the Lord. So that's a little bit of a testimony. Okay, so John Bunyan, he, he had two subtitles to uh, this section. Uh, the Father's Duty to the Family in General. So what two particular things are fathers responsible for in the home? Y'all, you've got it in your notes. Help me here. To provide, first of all, in what kind of manner for the family? Godly. I'm sorry? Godly. Yeah, spiritual things, okay? The, so we have a responsibility to provide spiritual training for our family. What's the next thing that all men must do for their families? Provide. Provide. Yeah, provide for their family. Outward providing that they might have the things. Well, the last time we met last month, we looked at the spiritual state of things, and I'm just going to kind of remind you of what we looked at. So in regard to the spiritual state of his family, which we studied in our last lesson, the husband should carry himself, listen to this, as would the man who is qualified by God's standards to be an elder or a deacon. So the husband is to be an elder and a deacon where? In the home. Regardless of whether or not they're an elder or deacon in the church. And you also know this philosophy, if you're not a deacon and elder in your home, you cannot be a deacon where? At church. At church. That's just, that's the bottom line of the matter. Okay, so, so get this in your mind. Who should know better than anybody in the church, uh, especially in the family, the spiritual condition of all those people in the family? The husband. The husband. That's his job to know the spiritual condition of his wife and his children. And when he sees evidence that they're maybe saved, he gives the Lord praise for it. When he sees evidence that they're not saved, he knows how to pray for them, that they would be saved. So 
We need to be careful to teach the things of God in his home. We also need to be careful not only to teach, but to live it. To live out before the members of the household that man's faith, that man's Christianity. Now, what have we, what have we already figured out? You can't be one way at church and one way at work and another way at the baseball field and a different man at home. You with me? Because the more, the more comfortable our situation is, <coughs> the more likely we're likely we are to show a bad side. Right? So we, don't, we can't compartmentalize. Listen, men. Wow. You must be mindful of what your children are taking part in. You got to know. You've got to know what's out there. You've got to know what books they're reading. You've got to know what they're watching on television and on their computer. You've got to know what they're doing on social media. You've, you've got to open your eyes and pay attention to what they're wearing. And you've even got to watch their friendships. And I want to tell you, let me just tell you from a grandparent's perspective, you cannot dictate what acquaintances your grandkids or your kids pick up. Now, you can try your best. You can put them in the best youth group. You can send them to the best private school. But I want to tell you, who, who they associate with is a God thing. So what's that mean? You need to be praying. You need to be praying because that is so important. Now, listen, man. You cannot leave all the child rearing to the women. Now, they're going to have the bulk of it, okay? But you're, uh, you're to be watching over. You're to be paying attention to what's going on. So, spiritually, we're talking about what the husband did the last time we came together. And today, today's, we're looking at the duty of taking care of the outward state of the family or providing for the family. And that's an important part. So we're at the, the heading on yours, family duties. We're given three things to consider. And these are the three things that we'll consider this morning. It lies upon the father and the husband to care for his family so that they have daily provision for their needs. That's the man's responsibility. Number two, although through his labor he should provide for his family, he should not so pursue the things of the world that he neglects or hinders his families from their duties towards God. So let me just use this word. A man has got to operate in the world with moderation. He's got something else more important. And thirdly, the father must see that there is Christian harmony in the home, such as would be among those who fear the Lord. And we're going we're gonna to cipher all of those out. So, it is the father, the husband's responsibility to care for his family and to provide for his family. It's the father's responsibility. 1 Timothy 5.8, you've got the scripture there. Please follow along. This is why I've got you the scripture. If you didn't know this is in the Bible, this is in the Bible, okay? 1 Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Y'all know what that means? A man who won't work is showing himself to be an unbeliever. God created men to do what? Work. All right. Now, 
This doesn't mean that the father is to try to obtain all that the world holds dear or to accumulate a large bank account. In other words, let me tell you what this means in good common sense language. You don't have and you don't make to have all the toys or to provide your family with, with all the things that they might dream of having or to have a large bank account. And we're going we're gonna to flesh this out. Why are you working? Okay? And, and basically, somebody tell me why you're working. Two things. Just think about it. To do what? Physically what? Provide for your family. All right, there's another thing. And to have enough to do what? The work of the Lord. Yeah, there's two things. To provide for your family, and you've got to have enough money, the necessities to do the work of the Lord. Now, I want to, I want to read you a little, uh, a little, uh, Dave Ramsey. Anybody know Dave Ramsey? He's a Christian financial guru, okay? And you can, some people like him, some people hate him. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I pay attention to him, and, and he's got some really good things. So, listen to this. There are over 7 million men who are work age who refuse to work in America. 7 million. 7 million able-bodied males are unwilling to go to work. Think about what that does to the uh, Social Security, the financial situation in America. He calls this as the wussification of America, the feminization of America. Okay? So I want you to think about that. Uh, according to the report that Ramsey picked up out of Fox News, 7 million able-bodied males between the ages of 25 and 40 who could work but are not looking for work are not working at all. And so they have, uh, they have, this, uh, they have their own uh, heading, N-I-L-F. No longer are not in the labor force. They're not a part of the labor force that God intends them to be. So this is, this is Ramsey's take. And if you don't believe Dave Ramsey, just check out Jason Whitlock. Okay, if you want a different perspective, just check out Jason Whitlock. Ramsey primarily blames the women in their lives for what he refers to as the wussification of America. Now think deeply. Ramsey said as a parent, you have no grit. He tells mothers to throw their 25-year-old out of their basements and teach them to work. Ramsey goes on to say that these mothers are not only a disservice to their sons, but they also are a disservice to their neighbors, America, and the mental health industry. The financial guru sums it up by saying that the government, mothers, and live-in girlfriends are enabling unemployed men to be unemployed. Ramsey's, whose typical discourse covers issues like debt, investing, believes he knows where the problem started. This is it. <coughs> Listen, guys. Peaceful parenting has not and will not work out. We are producing uh, emotional cripples in America. 
How are we doing that? So he says, it all began with Americans taking all pain away from our children. We don't want them to be uncomfortable. Oh, we don't even want them to be anxious. We, we don't want them to grow up. And I'm telling you, you want to know something's ugly? A mama with a 50-year-old son still living at home. That's ugly. And we're, hey, we're, we've already been there. That's where we're going there. It all began with Americans taking pain away from kids, removing struggles from their lives. Life is, life is full of what? Struggles. Struggles. And not allowing them to learn about the sting of rejection. Mm. Self-medicating. Ramsey says that men between the ages of 24 and 40 spend an average of 2,000 hours a year on their computer screens. He calls that self-medicating. According to Ramsey, unemployment causes mental health issues. And to a degree, he's right. Can unemployment cause depression? Absolutely. Try to get a, trying to get a job, trying to get by without a job, and money in the bank is one of the most stressful experiences an adult will face in their lifetime. In 1965, even high school dropouts were more likely to be in the workforce than the man between 25 and 40 is today. The collapse had coincided with a retreat from marriage. The proportion of never married men was over three times higher in 2015 than in 1965, which suggests a broader infantilization. Infantilization. Let me tell you what that is. The prolonged treatment of keeping children to be children longer than they ought to be children. In other words, our kids have got to one day do what? Grow, Grow up. Okay. So, this is uh, Generation Z. All of my grandchildren. My first grandchild was born in 1997. That's the first year of Generation Z. My last ones were born in 2014, the last year of, uh, of, uh, of the Generation Z was 2012. All of mine are right in that mix, okay? And many of your children and grandchildren will be. Now, uh, you know what they're doing with this time? Nothing. 5.5 hours daily on watching the screen, TV, and movies. And no seeking employment or seeking work. A large number of American men of prime working age between 25 and 50, uh, 54 years old are not working or even looking for work, resulting in a major hole in the U.S. economy. In 1953, listen... 98% of men in that age range had a job or were looking for one. 
And that has fallen ever since. Today, 7.2 million men have essentially dropped out of the workforce. You, you know the biggest problem for small businesses? You know the biggest problem for industry in America? Tell me what it is. Not having enough workers. Don't have enough workers. Uh, I saw Billy Mack a year ago. He manages, I think, seven uh, McDonald's. Uh, for the guy, Gary Montgomery, I think it's Gary Montgomery, uh, his name's Montgomery, he owns some McDonald's uh, at Hope and, and several of them. And, and I saw him one morning at the gas station. He told me, he said, I could put 300 people to work today if I could find them. So how are non-working men between 25 and 54 spending their time? Seven hours each day are dedicated to leisure time. Listen to this. Relaxing. Playing games and watching TV. According to data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics from 2021, data also shows that men who are not working are looking for work or spending. Listen to this. They ain't doing nothing, but they're spending less time caring for their family. Guys, we're in, we're in trouble spiritually in America, and we're, we're in trouble financially in America, and workforce troubles. I mean, we're in trouble. We need godly homes, right? And let me just tell you, if you're not disciplining your children to know the Lord and to work and to be responsible, you don't have a godly home. You might as well be working on it. Okay, 1 Timothy 6, 8 says, I'll have the notes right there, we're going to move on. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Matthew 6, 34 says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Listen, husbands are to labor and to have the finances to provide for their families and do the works of necessity. There are things that we have to do in this world especially taking care of our church, Titus 3.14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. You know what that means? Not only are you providing for your family, but look, you have just a little bit left to do the work of the Lord. He is not to be overcome with acquiring things of this world and laboring as though he does not trust the Lord to provide. Are y'all with me, men? <clears throat> How much do we need? Well, I, this is my prayer. Uh, I, you know how much I want? Just exactly what the Lord wants me to have. Because you know what the scripture says? It says, uh, uh, if, we're, if, we're too, if we're too rich, we may deny the Lord and say, who's the Lord? And if we're too poor, we may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So who knows how much Jeannie and I need to have? Who knows that? The Lord. And that's how much I want to have. Because anything over that or under that would not bring honor and glory to the Lord. And we could look at Luke uh, 12, 22 through 28. And it talks about being anxious for what you have. We're not to be anxious. We're to be trusting in who? What do we need to teach our kids? We do all we can, and then we do what? Y'all know. 
We do all we can financially and otherwise, and then do we do what? We pray, pray and trust the Lord. I will give you Matthew six thirty one through thirty three because it's uh, it's one of our answers in Genesis. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, saying, "What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear?" For the Gentiles, lost people, seek all after all these things, and your heavenly Father already knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So we gotta keep we gotta keep the horse before the cart, right? And that's our priorities. We've got to keep them straight. So we are on uh, number two. So number one was it lies upon the father's husband, father husband, to care for his family so that they have daily provision. And and I'll just tell you guys. The most expensive iPhone, the latest iPhone, is not something that our kids got to have. A new car when they graduate from high school is not something that we are owed to them. We are owed to them, or that is owed to them. Hmm. Number two, although through his labor he should provide for his family, he should not so pursue the things of the world that he neglects or injures his family through their duties towards God. I, I say this, guys. I think about 60 hours a week is all that any man should put in on a job. That's six work days. Because he's got other things to do, does he not? Spiritual things at the house. Helping the wife who is raising the kids. Psalm 4, 5. Let your reason must be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So you know what I'm talking about. A guy can't be gone all the time chasing after a, a, a profession or chasing after the world and finances and neglect what? His spiritual well-being and the spiritual well-being of his family. So moderation is a good word. So do not seek after the world in such a way that you neglect Listen now, this is good. Don't neglect yourself, your family, your Lord, or your church. You see, men of the world don't have any concerns, really, most of them, about their wife or their family. They sure don't about their own spiritual well-being or their church, their Lord. Private prayer, reading the scriptures, assembling with the body are the things pertaining to family worship. We've got to have time for that. Now, A.W. Pink would say twice a, twice a day family worship. So, you know what we're just trying to get our people to? Once a week. Once a week to teach your family the things of the Lord. Now, we need to do way more than that. I want you to think about how many hours a day the world is devoted to to corrupt and ruin your kids. And we think one hour a week at church or one, one hour a week at home is going to overcome that? No way. No way. we got much work to do. This is a quote from Bunyan. It is a base thing for men to spend so much... It is a base thing for men so to spend themselves and the families after this world as that they disengage their heart 
to God's worship. We've got to have time to worship God. 1 Corinthians 7, 29-31, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. Uh, so you know what that's talking about? There's a little window in here in which you have an opportunity to impact your kids spiritually. And I mean, you just look up and that opportunity's gone. Absolutely gone. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings. For the present form of this world is passing away. You know what that means? We're all going to die. And I'm telling you, we're rushing towards death and judgment way quicker than you have any idea that we are. Or I do. The time is short. Many Christians, another John Bunyan quote, many Christians live and do in this world as if religion were but a by-wiz business. Now what's that? Just a sideline. A si okay, so it's a, a part-time job or a, uh, uh, another job that you have on the side, okay? It's, it's another job that you picked up, okay? That's what religion is for most people when it ought to be the main thing. And this world, the one thing necessary, when indeed all the things of this world are but things by the by, and religion the only one thing needful. You see how we've lost focus? Luke 10, 40-42. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You know, Martha was, she was tidying up the house and getting the food ready and she was put out because Mary couldn't do anything but follow Jesus around and sit down whether he stopped, sat down at his feet to learn from him. So we got to know what our priorities are. We've got to keep them in perspective. Any, any thoughts about that? Moderation. Number three, the father must see that there's Christian harmony in the home such as would be among those who fear the Lord. Uh, and and you know, when I study these things, I've, I've got to think. Uh, I, I'm thinking about, primarily I'm thinking about my kids and my grandkids. Uh, we, we've got to work within our families to teach them what it looks like to be a Christian. A, a husband, a wife, a mother, children, and how to interact with your siblings. We've got to teach them that. Children must be taught the word of God and ruled by God's standard. By the way, if you were going to say that, what is the one standard uh, for God's, okay, what is the main, if you're going to say there were one standard uh, and, and a little more broadly than just the word of God, what would that standard be? What's those ten things called? Ten the Ten Commandments. You know, and, and, and I've come to this in, in the last few years. Uh, most most Christian families have not even taught their children the Ten Commandments by the time they leave the house. You know, it kind of came to me, why, 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 didn't I, why didn't I mess around sexually when I was a kid? 
because it was going to embarrass my mom and daddy or I was going to get somebody pregnant or it was going to cut down on opportunities I had. But what really should dictate my sexuality? The Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not what? Commit adultery. The, really, the word for that is fornication. Our kids need to know what the Word of God's standard is. Church doesn't have time to teach all that. Families have got to be teaching that. So let's read about Eli and his sons from 1 Samuel 3, 11 through 14. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. You know what that means? Our children are, we are to be the restraint upon our children from wickedness and evil as much as we can. Verse 14, Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. We've got to be paying attention to the raising our kids. They must be modest in clothing, language. They are not to be gluttons or drunks. They are not to be slaves to the phone or video games. They are to be respectful to each other. And this, is, this one's kind of worn on me in, uh, in, in, as I've been doing this study. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a daddy's responsibility to teach the siblings to be civil towards one another. And it, matter of fact, it's to be demanded. And when it doesn't happen, there will be struggles. One family member is not to be allowed to be dominant over the others in the family. Whoever that might be. They are not to be allowed to behave foolishly towards one another. This is the responsibility of the, of the father in particular. Children are be to taught, be taught the word of God. The father should take more seriously things that his family does that it would offend God than the thing that would offend him personally. You know what that means? We're not just watching out for our particular behavior of our kids towards each other or to someone else. We are really concerned about whether they might do what? Offend God or not. Not whether they offend me. Not whether they get in, in trouble at school or something like that. 1 Peter 4.8 Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers over a multitude of sins. When the father is offended, he must not rage. You remember we've, we've learned and we'll continue to talk about it. It is never, never, never right to yell, scream at your wife or your kids. Never. He should be much more concerned about behavior that's offensive to God. You know who our kids need to know they're sinning against? Who is it? God. Not us, but they're sinning against the holy God. 
He should be concerned about it being offensive to God and should rebuke and warn about such behavior. Who's going to tell your kids? Who, who is responsible for telling your kids that if they, if they get a little older and they, they, uh, they decide to uh, become sexually active outside marriage like all the other kids, Whose responsibility is it to tell them that that's wrong and if they do that and continue to do that and die in that state, they're going to bust hell wide open? Who's, re who's responsible to tell them that? The preacher? The Who is it? Father. The father. First Timothy 3, 4. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So, that's kind of been in regard to the children. Any, any comments or questions about that? So, let me just say, give me, give me a couple of words that would, uh, would describe some things that are going to have to happen. Uh, to do this is what? Work. Labor. Are you with me? Time. So why would we look at that while we're looking at the outward provision? Because the amount of time that we spend in uh, providing has got to be moderated. Because when a man gets, when a man leaves his workplace that provides finances for his family, where is he really going? He's really going to the place that the serious work takes place. Right? Yeah. Because what's more important, providing for the family financially or providing for the family spiritually? Which is more important? So you see when the real job starts? The real job doesn't, doesn't start when you, you clock in. The real work starts when you clock out and get out of the car. You know, Brother Bruce, I tell the guys all the time at work, and, and I mean, Eddie knows it. I mean, sometimes he's not very happy about it. But I've lost two families over always working. And, and you know, this, this does me a lot of good because it shows me a lot of areas that, that I was nowhere the man I thought I was, even though I thought I was a man. But... Uh, but I tell all the guys today, anytime, I say you put your family first. You know, uh, anyway, I'm done. Yeah. Any other comments? So uh, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Any comments about taking care of the kids? Because now we're going to be talking about what? Taking care of who? The wife. You got two responsibilities you got kids and you got the wife. Okay, so as to the husband in regard to his wife, that's where we're at in your notes. Number one, and first, if she is a believer, the husband should thank God for her because she's a gift from God. Be grateful if you've got a believing wife. Be grateful if you have a wife who is a companion with you, headed with you to where? Heaven. Heaven, that's it. Proverbs 12, 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness 
rottenness in his bones. Proverbs 31.10, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. 1 Corinthians 11.7, for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. Wow, to have a godly woman is glory towards you. Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be what? If you haven't given God thanks lately for giving you a godly woman, you need to go home and tell them today how glad you are that they're godly women and you ought to get on your knees in their presence and thank God for them. Because I want to tell you, you got your socks blessed off when you got a godly woman. Number two, if that's the case, he should thank God for her, but he should love her twice as much. She, listen, we, it's just common sense, but we ought to live that, love that godly woman twice as much. Why? She's my flesh. We're flesh and bone together. I'm a part of her. She's a part of me. Ephesians 5.21, 5.29, For no one ever hated his own flesh. She, we are one. Is that not what it says? We become one when we're married, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. And B, she is also an heir with him in the grace of life. You know what that means? We're going to spend eternity together with each other in heaven. 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, such as your prayers may not be hindered. Well, thank God. This should produce in a man a Christ-like love for her as a fellow believer who is also loved of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And number three, he should treat her as Christ would treat her and his church. That's the way we all, you know how Christ treated the church? What did he do? He died for the her, right? That's what we should be willing to do for our wives. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll tell you this little story here when I get through if I have time uh, about what happened with Jeannie and I this week. Uh, we've been married 52 years, so you know, uh, we, we handle things most of the time a little different than newlyweds would handle it. I said most of the time. Because many of, some of the time, I revert to the old Bruce, and it doesn't go very well. So, listen. The husband, listen to this, is Christ's representative in his home to his wife. You know what that means? You are living in the, with, with that woman, and you are Christ's representative to her. Ephesians 5.23 for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. This is another John Bunyan quote. This is one of God's chief ends in the instituting of marriage, that Christ and his church under a figure, a type, might be wherever there is a couple that believe through grace. In other words, people ought to look at our marriage and see Christ in the church. I ought to be treating my wife like Christ treated the church. He gave himself up for her, right? So if a husband acts in an Christless manner before his wife, 
He not only behaves contrary to what he professes, but also makes his wife lose the benefit that should have been hers in being married to a professor or a believer in Christ. A woman ought to know, are y'all with me? That she is blessed that God has given her a godly husband. She ought to realize that. She ought to thank God for that. Ephesians 5.8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Ephesians 5.29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Is that what we're doing to our wives? Nourishing and cherishing them spiritually? So if a man loves his wife as his own body, he will imitate Christ who laid down his life for his church. He will also help her in her weaknesses. You know, she's got weaknesses. I got a word for you, though. So do you. So do I. He should be willing to instruct her, protect her, and help her in her personal failings or insecurity and honor her as the weaker vessel and as being a frailer of frailer constitution. Hey, listen. She, listen, guys. She is not emotionally nor physically the same as you. She has a frailer disposition, a weaker disposition. So you know what that means? Sometimes we just got to overlook them, right? I mean, y'all, if you've been married any time at all, there's some days you know you just got to walk a wide path. First That's ten. good to hear. That's good to hear? Yeah. Hey, go take a walk. Go take a walk. They'll probably be better when you get home. First Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. You keep that in mind. Don't tell her she is, but just in the back of your mind, say she's the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So, in other words, he should be not only her husband, but an ambassador for Christ in his everyday behavior. Who are we representing in the home? Somebody tell me. Christ. Christ. But if the wife is an unbeliever, wow. They're not a follower of Christ. I want to tell you, you're... you're uh, your whole world has been changed. Because now you've got a primary focus of seeing that she's saved. But if the wife is an unbeliever or worldly, then her husband has the same duty to perform, but with this realization. You've got to do all those other things. Are y'all with me? But realize this. In one moment, she could face eternal damnation. And it falls on you. And you're partially responsible for that. Number two, he must sense the responsibility that this is his wife who is in an awful state. Your heart's got to be broken. Now, maybe you thought you married a believer. You found out you didn't. Or maybe you married an unbeliever. You weren't equally yoked. 
But listen to me. Some husbands appear unconcerned that by their actions, by their very actions before and towards their wives, that they are showing little regard for the souls of their wives and their children. Man, and, and I, got, I need to get you guys some more copies of this. Uh, biblical, a biblical manhood, a biblical mandate for men, okay? To be sure you're headed to heaven and doing all you can to take your wife and your kids with you. I think simply speaking, that's, your, that's a man's biblical mandate. To make sure your soul is good, you're headed to heaven, and doing what? Doing all you can to take your wife and kids with you. We could throw in there a few more men, right? That we're trying to influence. So, why their children? So, this was one of those things that just, a lot of things good happened at the jail for me, okay? So I'm at the jail and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking around there and, you know, this guy may have uh, children by three women. And uh, he's never seen part of them. Here's what came to my mind. Regardless, he is responsible for those children's souls. Listen, I don't care how she became pregnant. One night stand, ongoing relationship, that child that's conceived, tell me what that child has. He has a soul. A soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. Man, you talk about causing you to zip up your pants. If a mom's not saved, children probably won't be saved. Man's not saved, wife and children may not be saved. Huge responsibility. Wrapping up with uh, six truths here. If a husband is truly concerned for the soul of his wife, he will be very conscious of her spiritual state and always yearn that her soul will be drawn to the Lord. You need to know what state she's in. You need to know how to pray. Listen, if you, if, you, if you married her, thought she was saved, and come to realize she's not saved, you got to know how to rightly pray for her. What would that be? That God would save her soul. Don't pretend everything's all right when you know it's not. Number two, he is to labor to overcome her evil with his goodness. You know what a, you know what a lost woman is doing when she's married to a a saved man, she's watching him. She may even be trying him to see how he's going to act. you got to handle her hardness and lostness with patience and meekness. You cannot behave as a lost man and expect to influence her to Christ. She's got to see a difference in your life. Number three, he must never by his behavior give her reason to proceed in doing evil. Don't encourage evil. She that is closest to him will see or sense the least failing in him. 
uh, a lost woman is going to be watching her husband all the time to see if she can find out something wrong. Number four, use the times when she's most likely to speak to her heart of spiritual things. You know what I mean? Uh, you, you can't be her all, on her all the time. You can't every day be talking to her about her lostness and she won't go to church with you. But when you, when you sense that the timing's right, you've got to take it. Speak to her about spiritual things. And then when you do, be like Job and do not say too much. When you speak, speak to purpose. It is not necessary to say much. Like Job, the fewer words, the better. Job 2.10, but he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And number six, everything that the husband does towards his wife and the words that he speaks should be without bitterness or the least appearance of anger, a loud voice, or an angry face. Remember the rule? It's never permissible to yell or to act mad or to throw a fit. You know what I you know, you know what I you know how I know what it looks like to throw a fit? I was a fit thrower. Uh, if y'all hadn't heard the story, I'll tell you sometime. My wife was married to me probably a year until I threw a fit. And you know what she thought? What in the world have I done? That's what she thought. What in the world have I done? So, uh, never permissible to yell. 2 Timothy 2, 25-26. Correcting his opponents. Do, so, do you ever go into the house and think that you've just inherited a terrible enemy? <laughs> or an opponent? Come on now. I mean, you have. I mean, you walked in the door and I mean, it's a hornet's nest. Right? Correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance. <laughs> and you don't need to tell them that either. That you're praying for them that God would grant them repentance. But that's what you need to be praying. Leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. 1 Corinthians seven sixteen. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? You know what, guys? Uh, what we do says more to our children than what we say, right? Well, would that not also apply to your wife? Huh? Who we are and what we do means more to them than what we say. Now, I do tell you, they love to hear that you love them. They love to hear... From you how nice they look okay but they're really watching for how you treat them and how you act uh, comments so we have two duties we are to look after the spiritual state of our family and we're to provide for our family I think the caution here is we need to be moderate we need to moderate our providing in such a way that we have time for their spiritual well-being. Some good stuff, guys. Uh, may God bless the teaching of his word. Dear Lord, I thank you for these guys. I thank you for the time that we've spent together. 
I pray that you would do with these men, do with me, do with us, do with this teaching what you see fit to do for your honor and your glory. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Amen.